Welcome to a dying podcast. My name is Nils, and in today's episode, we are again trying something completely new in terms of format because today I have not one but actually two guests with me. So this is going to be interesting. We're having tea in the house where I live, so you might hear some tea drinking noises coming out of these lovely individuals. Uh, but that's just something you're going to have to deal with. So um, the background for this is. Um, that my friend David, who is one of these individuals in front of me, and you will shortly introduce yourselves, handed me a book um, a few weeks or maybe months back. Yeah. It's a book in Swedish called Vetenskap, Hope och Kärlek, which loosely translated to English would be Science, Hope and Love. And this is a book that's not yet published, but it will be in a couple of months. But we're sort of giving you a preview of what it's about and then having a conversation about it because to me it's a really really interesting book that basically is combining science with the area of love and marriage but before we go into that david gustav welcome who are you guys who wants to go first thank you for having us so yeah i'm, I'm my name is david and i am a phd student at scc normally i do research on organizations and their behavior but i was requested by Gustav and Fredrik, who came up with this idea of making a book together about using our um, research, basically, and apply this to marriage. And I'm Gustav Almqvist. I'm also a PhD candidate at the Stockholm School of Economics, where I study judgment and decision-making and economic psychology. Uh, like David just said, kind of the background here is that uh, we had a mutual friend, Alexander, who got married last summer, and uh, Fredrik, my, my co-editor, and I couldn't kind of make our minds up regarding a good uh, wedding gift. So in some strange way of thinking, we kind of came up with the idea that, yeah, let's write in my book. So we called David and Kaisa and Hua, who are also our fellow authors in this. And uh, yeah, some six months later, it ended up being a quite unconventional wedding gift. And uh, now, as Neil started off by saying, it's going to be uh, released this this spring. So yeah, it's been a, a strange six months or so, I'd say. And it's probably the most ambitious wedding gift I've ever heard of. Yeah, it probably Writing is. Writing right. a book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, that's not all it is. It is also, I'd say it's probably the manuscript of the world's longest wedding speech. I'd say, because I've actually timed it. And if you read it out loud, then it, it takes some, say, four and a half hours or so, which is on par with this, this speech that Castro gave in the 60s, which is like a record-long political yeah. talk. So, so yeah, it's it's also a very it's long a wedding speech. Yeah. So Castro we didn't deliver the whole thing. Though. No, you didn't do that. No, no, we didn't. We that don't. was my next question. You yeah. didn't actually go four no, and a half hours no, into the speech. It would have been interesting to see how long it took before someone actually interrupted you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That could be another chapter. Yeah. Okay, so so it's potentially the world's longest wedding speech, and it's also a book. And I think there are a lot of interesting insights and things to learn from this. In a way, it's it's not that surprising, right? You're basically offering a new perspective on love and and marriage. And then you've written uh, one or a few chapters each, if I mm-hmm. understand it correctly, mm-hmm. applying whatever your sort of home turf of science is yeah. to mm-hmm. uh, the topic of, of love and marriage. Yeah. So in your perspective, what does this book bring to the table? Uh, I'd say it's new in the sense that it's popular science to begin with. And uh, secondly, that it's interdisciplinary as well. So we kind of bring psychological perspectives together with uh, law. And uh, in addition, also some kind of business and economic points of view and try to kind of put that together and address marriage through kind of all of these lenses. Uh, I'd say that's, that, that's probably the unique thing here, I'd say. From a more romantic perspective, is also kind of the original idea, at least, was kind of apply a science perspective to something such as, I mean, that is more approach, usually from a romantic or, or so it's to kind of a contradict itself. Usually, but mm. but now perhaps the the new version of the book will. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, that, that's uh, we're expected to have kind of the the final manuscript in place uh, in less than a week. So, uh, but but that being said, <laughs> <Things> <laughs> we're, we're still yeah exactly we're still a bit uncertain as to 
uh, how the the mm-hmm. final product will look. So, yeah. so we'll see. So we that should be known <coughs> that that the name might change. Yeah, yeah. And also in terms of release dates, you're expecting it sometime this spring. Yeah, the spring of 2019. Yeah, but that could change too. Having published a book myself, I know things can change yeah. very last minute. Yeah. Yeah, but it's basically uh, sort of a holistic view on marriage from a scientific starting point. Yeah. Which, at least in my mind, is uh, to some extent new. At least to me, it's not a conversation about love or marriage that you usually have. You tend to have it more from sort of softer slash personal experience. Mm -hmm. It's obviously relationships and love and marriage Mm -hmm. is something that people have always talked about and will always talk about. But... I feel it's interesting and I feel it's also very valuable to look at it from the viewpoint that you guys are doing Mm -hmm. uh, in the book. And I'm not sure where to start really because I think there's so many aspects of of marriage and interesting perspectives that you bring forward in the book. But from your perspective, what are some of the findings or viewpoints that you think are perhaps the most important to take away from this book or that surprised you when you did this six-month uh, preparation of this wedding mm. gift? <laughs> mm. That's a difficult question, I'd say. Uh, perhaps you'd like to go first, David. No, from a personal point of view, what kind of surprised me was, and, and some of the authors uh, touched upon that in the book, that how many myths there are, myths that do exist around the, the marriage uh, as, as an institution, per se. And what I kind of realize now is that how much we think about the marriage, but perhaps sometimes how little we know impure facts. And I also think it's very interesting that even though many of us think that marriage is, is declining in, in rate, where we do live in an individualistic society in many perspectives and increasingly individualistic, but at the same time, marriage is very frequent. So it's, a, I mean, so it's perhaps the opposite of what you actually think. That's so is of, it actually like increasing uh, in terms of how many people get married or, or is it, does it, has it normalized? Yeah, this, uh, I think at least in Sweden, there's kind of a steady state of some 50,000-ish marriages a year. Um, but, but I think in terms of kind of the institution, it's been, I mean, at least, especially I'd say in the US, but probably all over the world, there, are, there have been kind of a repeating, repeated opinion is, is that this institution kind of is in the middle of some sort of a crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet it seems to be uh, still kind of remain uh, quite robust mm-hmm. in the sense that people uh, keep getting married. Mm-hmm. However, some of the kind of complexity surrounding this phenomenon itself is, is probably due to the fact that from a historical point of view, it's actually quite quite new an idea to get married for love in the first place. So I think in a sense that we kind of uh, we confuse marriage with love marriages, which only have like the history of a few hundred years, uh, I'd say. And prior to that was more a Business yeah, or strategic exactly. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. People essentially, people essentially got married for kind of very uh, pragmatic yeah. and economic reasons. Mm-hmm. It was a way to kind of to organize family life, to kind of secure Zero properties. Yeah, definitely mm-hmm. so. To to uh, extend your social network. Essentially, mm-hmm. you were kind of choosing your parents-in-law rather than your spouse. And it was also a very kind of efficient way to secure labor going forward, right? Mm-hmm. And with labor, I mean kids. Yeah, <laughs> different <laughs> perspective than in most countries. Today. Yeah, and so so the very idea of getting married for love is actually something that kind of began around, say, uh, I'd say like late 18th century, mm-hmm. around the time of the Enlightenment, something exactly. like that. Oh yeah, so that's when the shift mm-hmm. happened, and I guess it didn't happen globally uh, no. at once either. No. But it, I mean, it's also interesting because that sort of describes marriage or the the previous version of marriage as something very rational. This mm-hmm. is a rational choice that you make mm-hmm. for strategic, rational mm-hmm. reasons. And today, it's in, in many countries, it's an emotional thing, mm-hmm. and yeah. purely yeah. an emotional thing, which, and this is me, you know, uh, finding patterns that perhaps are not there. But it's interesting because we now know in this modern age that the human being is primarily an emotional driven creature, mm-hmm. not that rational, uh, but we believe that we're super rational. So maybe that's sort of a sign of our own development, that we allow for the emotions to play a part even in marriage, because, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at society today, at least in Sweden, US, a lot of other places, we have a greater respect for the emotional aspects of how the brain works. And I also think that when you look at how people live their lives today, it's much more emotionally driven 
uh, at least to some extent, you're supposed mm -hmm. to quote unquote follow your heart, yeah. whether you like that quote or not. Yeah. But but that was probably not something that you mm -hmm. were told to do 300 mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. Just follow your heart and your passion. No, exactly. Because then, as far as I understand it, then marriage was kind of hopefully a result. Uh, sorry, love was hopefully a result out of marriage. And now it's like a pre prerequisite that it's kind of a it's a, it's something that's given before okay, you so actually marriage came married. before love. And then potentially that could turn into love. Yeah, I would say so. Yes. <clears throat> to what and some right. say, I mean, during uh, there are many like uh, historical instances where where uh, they used to. In fact, it was like a, a standard joke a thousand or so years ago that uh, kind of around the the stupidity of getting married for love. So that was kind of an I don't know an, an obvious kind of downside to all successful marriages, right? So again, love marriage is, is uh, quite a new thing. And on the topic of where, where we, you started out on kind of the, this distinction between the kind of rationality on the one hand and, and emotions on the other, just perhaps as a, as a side note. Uh, but but uh, what we know is, is that today from psychological research is that this dichotomy itself between like rationality and emotion that that's kind of that goes back to Descartes originally but in the end that's not really the case because we know as you pointed out that kind of emotions are are a part of all decision making so even what we in fact uh, also what we refer to as rational decisions rely in, in part on different sorts of yeah, emotions, essentially, and um, different somatic processes as well. So it's not a kind of either-or situation to begin with. It, it's all kind of a, it, it's all a combination. So something else that I, that I thought about when reading the book was that, well, this is actually, this is great preparation for getting married. Mm, it is, and, right. And you, I mean, getting it on your wedding day <laughs> is, is great, mm. but perhaps a little late. But <laughs> most people don't even, you know, get it at all. Yeah. Uh, so what are some of the things that you should know when getting married beyond just the fact that, well, okay, I love this person, I've decided to to share my life with this person in the form of, of marriage. Um, I'm thinking about both statistics. Mm. We're in, in a very statistics-driven society today where people, you know, optimize their own lives and try mm. to figure out how things work, mm. uh, but maybe also from legal aspects or, yeah. or economic aspects or any type of aspects that yeah. you've been looking at. There are some valuable advice here, at least so we, we think. To begin with, we figured that kind of all... Uh, wedding gifts and especially wedding speeches typically circle around advice, right? Uh, and yet we figure that most of these advice uh, seem to be rather unscientific. So here we kind of try to... <laughs> Somewhat uh, unscientific. Yeah, yes. by comparison. Yeah. yeah. Well, based on a small subset, like this is my yeah, personal experience exactly. of yeah, being married exactly. for yeah. yeah, so we try to kind of <laughs> improve a bit on that. And uh, I don't know, to just kind of in no particular order, but just to kind of sum up some key findings. In terms of, of advice, I'd say... First, ensure that you are uh, legally married in the first place. That's probably a good thing, right? Uh, because it's quite easy to confuse the actual ceremony to the actual legal requirements. So, in fact, it could be like hundreds of, or, or um, even thousands of, of people in Sweden or Europe or whatever that think of themselves as married, but in reality aren't. Second, I'd say in terms of like ensuring a happy marriage, which is obviously a key thing to most, I'd say, try to not criticize each other too much. Do not focus on dispositions or traits. Try to, to improve your way of interacting with one another. That's an advice from psychological research, which uh, Kaisan Hua, our fellow authors, uh, write about. And, and Fredrik wrote about the, the first advice I gave here on, on ensuring whether you're actually married. Personally, uh, I'd say, because I'm, I'm, since I'm into the strange business here of writing about divorce, which is uh, a bit difficult when it, or, or strange when it comes to, to giving someone a wedding gift, but still, that's what I did. Uh, I, I'd say, kind of beware of the first decade. Because contrary to what, what most people assume, it's actually for the early phase of a marriage. Is, in fact, the divorce risk is higher and it's, it reaches its maximum around five years or so. So kind of, uh, yeah, hang in there for the first decade. Yeah. And after 10 years, it sort of it goes down. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. And then it kind of decreases exponentially. Okay, so yeah. just make it to 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Then you're home safe. Yeah, yeah, pretty then, much. Or, then, or at least you're kind of... 
Yeah, you're not, not entirely there, but say make it till 25, then you can be pretty certain. Yeah, okay, then you're pretty certain. Yeah. But obviously to get there, you probably, take it back to your second point, yeah. you probably need to work on your how you interact mm. with each other. Exactly. I also, I also want to point out the first mm. thing uh, that you mentioned here about make sure that you're actually legally married. Mm-hmm. With two things that I think could be worth mentioning or one that's not worth mentioning because it's just about me but it was fun reading the book because you had an example of getting married in nevada uh, which is actually what i did yeah. <laughs> i got married in nevada <laughs> in the u.s uh, and it is a, a fully legal marriage oh, but we had to go through i've really been through that grinder in a way mm-hmm. and making sure that it was uh, fully legal mm-hmm. uh, okay. because you can't uh, like you said uh yeah, the ceremony. ceremony, yeah. The ceremony in itself is obviously not enough. And this was, we got married at Burning Man in the desert. So it's like Pershing County, Nevada. And coming mm. there as a Swede to get married is not super simple. Mm. And then we also wanted our friend to be the minister. So he had to become a legal minister <laughs> yeah. in the state of Nevada okay. to legally marry us. And then we had, to, you know, there were so many papers going back and forth mm. before and after the wedding. And yeah. We even had to go to a special office in the small town of Lovelock, a very fitting name, uh, in Nevada, which is basically just a, a big parking lot in the middle of the desert, and and stay there for a night to get the legal paperwork. So I know how much work it goes into it if you want to get married somewhere else, somewhere else than, than in Sweden. Yeah. But but if you don't do that, what are the risks of actually not being legally married? Mm. Say some ten. 20 years later, you get divorced. Then it could affect who ends up with the custody of your children. Or say one of the, the parties would die, it could have huge effects. So so I'd say it's it's absolutely critical. Yeah. Because if you are married, then you, I guess you automatically, automatically inherit each other if yeah, one of you exactly. pass away. But if yeah. you're not, then that is not valid. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, then it is, if you are getting married, then it makes sense to understand these aspects mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. And if you're getting well. divorced. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure. You, you, oh yeah, obviously. So <laughs> the same, the same, that I haven't gone through yet. Uh, so I don't know how that will work. Yeah. Um, and I mean, as, uh, go through it. as uh, Frederick has told me, there are apparently instances where, where people have filed for divorce and then they, they essentially find mm-hmm. out that they, they weren't ever married in the first place. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, could have some huge, yeah. pretty huge implications. From, uh, specifically from a legal, yeah, exactly. I guess, financial yeah. point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Just okay. think of all the wedding gifts you have to return, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the main problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ten years later. Uh, okay, but you, so, so basically statistics tell us that the first five years are the, the hardest one. I'd say the first yeah. ten. The first ten. Yeah, but it reaches but it its maximum. Yeah, so the, yeah, the fifth year. Yeah. Beware of that. Yeah, so me and my wife, uh, in four years' time, we might have to do another episode when we're peaking <laughs> yeah. in yeah. terms of the risk of, yeah. of getting a divorce. Yeah. And is this, by the way, is this global statistics or is this Sweden? Uh, what I've analyzed is primarily Swedish data, but uh, there seems to be a similar pattern all around the Western world. So I've kind of verified it with some, some uh, American data and some Finnish statistics as well. And, and the pattern seems to be quite robust, I'd say. So and I, um, as a Swede, you, always, you, you often hear these facts about our country that I don't know if they're uh, fully correct or not because I haven't fact-checked them. But we tend to say that we're the country that, you know, we drink the most coffee and eat the most bananas mm-hmm. per capita. Yeah. We mm-hmm. have the highest suicide rates and also uh, maybe not the highest, but super high divorce mm-hmm. rates. But are they increasing? Because that's No, they don't. They don't. Because that's something that yeah. at least I thought before mm-hmm. reading exactly. this book. That, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, in this individualistic society, mm-hmm. we all live alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone's focused on yeah. the individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we get married later, I guess, uh, than we used to, mm-hmm. yeah. but we also have higher divorce rates, but mm-hmm. then uh, we're increasing divorce mm-hmm. rates. But mm-hmm. then that's actually not true. No, mm-hmm. and exactly. So, and in fact, that, that's also true kind of all, all uh, at least across the Western world, is that uh, we've seen a, a kind of plateau in, in the divorce rate. In fact, the record number of divorces in Sweden was like in the late 70s, so they haven't uh, increased since. Uh, and, and you can study divorce risk in kind of using different methods and, and pretty much regardless of which method you apply, you come to the same conclusion, namely that divorces mm. do not increase, mm. uh, completely contrary to public mm. opinion, I'd say. And the number of marriages 
basically increases uh, since the 1990s. So increased during the 70s, 80s, and the 90s is basically back. Is that, does that time represent some sort of shift uh, in society? I, I'm guessing here that if you go back 50 years or 100 years, you probably had a lot of unhappy marriages that did not end yeah. in divorce yeah. because it was not, you know, yeah. accepted to the same extent to get mm. divorced. Yeah, and there were there were for like the the first part of the 20th century there were more uh, legal obstacles as well. So uh, it was actually harder. To yeah, get it was more difficult. Yeah, which uh, by the way, going back to kind of the historical comparison here, uh, which uh, by the way is is also quite a modern thing. So for instance, if if you go back to ancient Greece or or Rome. Again, contrary, I'd say, to, to public opinion, uh, divorce was actually quite common. And moreover, it was easier to get divorced, and at, at least in Rome. And it was uh, accompanied by less stigma than today, I'd say. So, yeah. That uh, is super surprising. Yeah, it is, right? <laughs> it is. But uh, like during, t- if we take, uh, we stick to Sweden, and, and uh, to modern Sweden, and, and we take the 20th century. Uh, and uh, what happened in like the late 70s was that, simply put, it, it got much easier to get divorced. So around that time, divorces peaked and uh, they haven't reached that level since. So now they're kind of quite steady. Interesting. Mm, really yeah, interesting. Yeah, it Good. is. I, and I, I mentioned to you before we started this recording that I find this book interesting, not only in the way that it's actually looking at marriage from a different point of view, but point of view that's really helpful and that gives new perspectives and I think a really good like introduction to to marriage. I perhaps not not wouldn't call it marriage for dummies because you still need to understand a bit about science to to understand it. But once again, it's sort of it brings up a conversation that we tend to not have around it. And to me, it's also interesting that this is sort of I can see similar patterns in all aspects of society where we're applying science to topics that are quote unquote soft or mm-hmm. you know not historically mm-hmm. viewed upon as being science or or scientific do you agree with that or do you see a shift because you are both scientists do you see sort of science widening the scope in your respective fields I don't know, really. I, I mean, I think in this line of work, what you, you typically kind of go around with the opinion that, the, the, with a very opposite opinion, that, that the, everything's unscientific and uh, all we have is, is different misperceptions of things. So, so <laughs> I'm not sure. I hope you're right. Let's put it that way. But as a scientist, you feel, you know, there should be more science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely, 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 yeah. Things should be proven in a more scientific yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. I feel that opinions grow at a higher rate than the number of scientific discoveries. Yeah, and I mean, I don't. I mean, most of us uh, writing about this book is not married per se. So I mean, we just <laughs> yeah. uh, we just let the the numbers talk basically. So perhaps or hopefully that will give more nuanced perspective to marriage, since we don't have any experience ourselves. We can just tell about, in my case, what organizational theory would would say about marriage. So you're not sort of colored by your own opinions in this matter because you don't have that strong opinions. Not at least in the, in the specific topic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd say um, uh, Kaisan, who, uh, who, who aren't here, they are married yeah. to each other. To each other. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which uh, makes it even more interesting to yeah. write this book together. Yeah, exactly. But the rest of us aren't married. And in in uh, in case of Fredrik, my, my co-editor and I, we're, we're both bachelors, right? So we're Definitely neutral. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So we kind of, yeah, exactly. We try to cover the whole spectrum here. Yeah. <laughs> so even, yeah, I mean, even the process of writing the book has to be scientifically sort of viable. Yeah, exactly. Not yeah. too many of the authors can be married. Right? Yeah, exactly. you can, you know. yeah. I guess that was a criteria, right? For, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> how do you, after one, I mean, one year after your you know, wedding visit, yeah, so how, how do is, you... Uh, Yes, yeah, so I've been married for a year, mm-hmm. uh, a few months now. And and like I said before we started this recording after reading the book, I, I really felt that, well, this book's real. It really, it, it brings me a lot of value that just from the legal aspects that I actually had to find out myself because we mm-hmm. chose to get married in a sort of unconventional way. Mm-hmm. So that could have been really helpful to actually have that, not oh. just was a bunch of online research and talking to various, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. 
uh, institutions about how to make sure it gets done uh, correctly. If you'd read this beforehand, you would never have gotten married in the first place, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but I would probably more, be more hesitant about doing it in the state of Nevada, mm, yeah. uh, which okay. I don't regret at all because it was it was a great thing to do, but yeah. it also brought with it a lot of work, a lot of hassle. Mm. Yeah. On the one hand, on the other hand, we didn't have to plan, uh, you know, planning the wedding dinner and the party and the ceremony in itself uh, is unscientifically speaking, because I don't know what the average amount of time and resources you actually put into that is, but just looking in my own, well, David is, is signaling here that he might yeah. know, yeah, uh, but, it, but in my own um, social circles, I see a lot of effort going into planning those things, but also to some extent, um, in some cases, a lot of anxiety because this is supposed to be, you know, the party uh, with all of your friends and it needs to be perfect. And and I think it also goes into, at least in some cases, that you want it to sort of reflect who you are and you want to have the best party. And in our case, it was in the middle of the desert, day four or five into Burning Man, which means... <clears throat> Setting up some sort of wedding dinner <laughs> in the middle of the desert is, is more or less impossible. I think we brought some champagne and some semi-dry cookies. That was it. Yeah. Uh, and it was more about the ceremony and, and, and just the people being there. So we actually, I think we saved a lot of time and effort and, and money by doing it in that way. Uh, but yeah, David, do you have any information about the the party aspect or the dinner aspect of, of the I, I mean, in the recent day? I've been checking in some some statistics about the, the actual cost we, we spend on, on the honeymoon and the specific party itself. And from an American perspective, it seems like there's a much bigger deal, or at least in, in um, monetary terms, to get married. And from a Swedish perspective, the average wedding from the survey we we looked at. As um, fifty-four thousand, I think it was Sex. the average, like for the party itself, fifty-four thousand sex, exactly. which is uh, five thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the honeymoon, the average uh, cost for honeymoon was around uh, twenty thousand uh, Swedish uh, sec. sec yeah. But on the other hand, from the American perspective, we see that the the average uh, cost for the wedding is basically, I think, it was thirty, roughly a uh, little bit more than thirty thousand. Uh, actually, U.S. dollars. U.S. dollars. So it's a completely different deal, at least wow. in this uh, data I've looked at. Well, in both cases, mm-hmm. it's a lot of money. It is. I and, yeah. And the funny thing is that you, you you started out, and that's what we usually see it as. Like this, uh, the one day event of your life. This is okay. I'm going to marry, so I'm going to do it big. That's what people usually the attitude towards the, the wedding, and with that comes a kind of an attitude of off. I mean, spending a lot of money. And then, of course, uh, the statistics show that if you live in a bigger city, you spend more. If you're uh, getting married in a church, you're likely to spend more. And if you're higher educated, then you're likely to spend more money as well. Also, but, the higher education, the yeah, more money you exactly. spend on your wedding. And the more you earn, the more you're likely to spend. But So I think it was um, roughly 10% of, the, of this um, data that, that spend um, 100,000 Swedish uh, kroner. Uh, on average, on the, in a wedding, ten percent. Uh, yeah, about ten percent. On the other hand, we found a paper that said that basically the more money you spend, the less likely is it that the wedding, uh, sorry, that the um, marriage gonna uh, hold last. Last. So there are so there's like a bunch how, of different how, yeah, exactly. interesting like, aspects. There's here. a very interesting paradox there that you have the image that you want to spend as much like there's a big day, the one day they're gonna spend a lot of money, but on the other hand, it says the more you you spend, I mean, there's a greater sh- risk that you're getting divorced, basically, or at least it's not going to. So these, so this brings up a lot of interesting <clears throat> questions. So, so one uh, to me would be: it's interesting that the more highly educated you are, the more money you spend. Mm-hmm. But you know, from a rational point of view, it's a pretty bad investment to yeah. spend <laughs> a lot of money yeah. on a party yeah, for one exactly. day. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, that does not really. No. Obviously, it brings you a fun mm. party, mm. but it's not a long-term or even mm. a short... It's not even an investment. Mm. Uh, it, to some extent, you could say that it is because you're hosting mm. you know, a party for your for your friends. Mm. And the other uh, thing you're saying here that the more money you spend, the higher the risk of a, a divorce. So highly unscientific, mm. but could that be to some extent that you're making it more about the wedding itself and the image that, that 
comes with it, uh, or you know, the signal that you're sending to your friends and the world around you, uh, that the focus is more on that than the actual relationship that is the core of the of the marriage. I think that's an interesting uh, comment. I looked into some statistics stating that the reason why people getting uh, married, or like the the reason they they highlight as a reason uh, getting married, and the first one was uh, yeah, love, <laughs> pretty pretty obvious. But today, um, not two hundred exactly, years ago, no. exactly, exactly. And um, the second one was I think uh, second or third. The one of them was uh, from a yeah, legal perspective, but it was to signalize that this relationship is serious. So in that terms, it could be a highly i mean there's people like to stress that this is from uh, this is a really uh, serious relationship towards others or towards himself yeah but uh, i mean in my mind it would be if that is one of the main drivers <clears throat> you want to signal that this is a serious relationship and i mean it's primarily doing that outwards right if yes. you and me are married I don't need, or I shouldn't need to signal to you in an even stronger way that this is a serious relationship because I could do that just, by the way, I direct with you. I wouldn't have to throw a big party uh, to just show that I actually love you for real. So to me, in my mind, it ends up being something that is more an external aspect of it. Sure, it's like from a legal point of view, it's it's a promise that, you know, in and this is my personal sort of experience of it, that getting married is to some extent something that i i've always grown up with thinking that i would do so it's not mm. fully a, a free choice but in making that choice it was also something that to some extent it was a signal to my wife that yeah i obviously love you but also the, i'm also willing to add the legal layer to mm. this that you know we're 50 50 in everything now no yeah. matter what happens mm. um which is not that important but it's just a additional way for me to to do that <laughs> but i'm thinking that you know if, if this is something that people stress as the one of the main facts for getting married it's more about the ex- external thing uh, and 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 perhaps once again me guessing here but if you feel a strong need to externally signal that this is a real serious relationship that perhaps that in some cases at least could be um, you know, a sign that you're not extremely secure in yourself or in this relationship. So you're trying to, you know, kind of in the way when we when we grow up as teenagers, and you know, I want to wear a certain uh, outfit, or you know, I want to have the sweater that everyone else has because it signals something. You know, that mm-hmm. I know I'm rich or I'm part of a certain subculture or whatever it is. That once again, marriage in some cases becomes just a tool of signaling towards the world. Of, who I am or who mm. we are as a as a couple, mm. which I guess then could easily break because if that signal doesn't last for a super long time, especially not the wedding party, that's a very brief moment in mm. your relationship. Yeah, I mean, if you exactly if you if you want to signal your your relationship or your kind of status in a way, it's a perfect moment at least to do that during the, the wedding. I mean, the, there's a <laughs> this specific day that is yours and, and your other half. And then there's a perfect moment, that, yes, at, at least to, to signalize. But I think, uh, yet on the other hand, I, I don't think we should kind of uh, overemphasize the importance of these still quite small differences. Because, for instance, if we apply uh, the same reasoning, what you were saying, that the signaling itself would be a predictor of, of divorce or, or, or a breakup in the end. Then if we start off with just a regular relationship instead, then, then uh, following that reasoning, we would expect marriage in itself as even a cheap marriage arguably also is a signal of love, right? Then we would expect uh, the divorce rate to be higher, if so, than regular breakups. Mm. Uh, and it isn't. So it's probably not linear either, right? And yeah. there could be all sorts of factors influencing this as well. Yeah, and so, but but of course, it's easy. And I mean, as you put it, I mean, we, we I think we can all kind of get the image, right? Someone kind of excess spending on your marriage in order to cover up your relationship problems or whatever. And, and there are probably yeah. such instances out there, but but, but in terms of explanations, yeah. yeah, it's difficult to say. But I heard some uh, reports recently. I haven't read them, so please bear with me uh, about the the effect of actually 
portraying a relationship as perfect in, in front of your friends or signalizing a perfect image it as well it kind of uh, has the the, um, the other basic yeah it's show it's signal it's showing the other thank you aspect of it so if you do that I'm, I'm guessing what you're saying is that if you portray your relationship as being perfect then it probably has a higher risk of um, ending is that uh, what you're saying or at least it's not perceived as as, as successful or as perfect ah, okay inside of this relationship right. than it is out, uh, compared to ah, okay. other might so there's a mismatch exactly. between the internal perception of the relationship and the and the external and i mean to to your point gustav because now we're saying that okay in the us you spend thirty thousand dollars on average on your on your wedding in in sweden it's five thousand dollars but uh, the more highly educated you are was it the more likely you are to to divorce and the more uh, likely you are to uh, put more money to, 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 more, to put more money yeah um, yeah but your end uh, you're less likely to get divorced given that you're you have a high education, education. yeah interesting so then yeah. that's sort of mm-hmm. contradictory yeah. that you actually spend more money being highly educated yeah. but but I would I mean I guess it comes down to percentage rather than actual absolute number of, of currency or money you put into it so if I spend 10% of my salary on my wedding and mm. uh, that's yeah, because like you know High, if you're higher educated, you, you most likely earn more money as well. So it's very likely mm. that you'll spend mm. more money. But is it actually a higher percentage of mm. what you earn that you spend? And I don't know if they actually perhaps spend the um, other share on the honeymoon, basically. So perhaps there's a greater percentage put on the, the wedding day, but less on the on the honeymoon. I, I don't know that. I don't have that. Data. But what we do know is people spend a lot of money on this thing. Yeah, <laughs> that is the conclusion. That yeah. we know. Yeah. People spend a lot of money on the wedding. And and I sort of, um, I know that it's not you that wrote the, the chapters about the psychological aspect of it. But like you mentioned here that some of the things to keep in mind in a relationship, I guess whether married or not, mm. uh, would be... Now, uh, you spoke about criticism yeah. and working on how you interact with each other. Is mm-hmm. there more is there more from that that people can learn from? Because I think that's, yeah. if I put this back on my own relationship, and mm-hmm. in this case, I'm married, mm-hmm. but I think for most people, if you just bring this back to our own relationships, yeah. whether married or not, that's sort of what we want to learn, right? Mm-hmm. How do I yeah. make this work in the yeah. best possible way? How yeah. do I make it last in the best possible way? And I think there that uh, what uh, Kaisan, who I would say would would probably be that that uh, you should kind of try to minimize criticism especially criticism that targets your spouse's disposition or traits and so on kind of the stable part of your personality so what can an example be yeah that like if i have to criticize you i shouldn't frame it as an attack upon your personality or the way you are i might have a strong case for criticizing you for, I don't know, leaving your uh, clothes all over the floor or whatever. But I shouldn't put it as a criticism of your lazy personality or your inability to do X, Y, or Z. But rather uh, try to minimize criticism in the first place. But if you have to do it, focus on on, uh, the behavior itself, not your disposition. Uh, And moreover, do, do not try to infer some sort of a global traits or negative portrayals of your partner from these behaviors because that could be kind of poisonous to the relationship. Uh, and try to be kind of humorous and interact in a, in a loving way with each other. It's, it's not about being kind of perfect in terms of your skills or how you are. I'd say it's, it's probably more important to, to kind of, I don't know, keep some sort of a, a, have a good spirit, whatever that is, in how we interact with each other. Try to remain positive, throw in a joke every once in a while. Those things seem to be more important than skills or dispositions, mm-hmm. I'd say. This brings up two things for me. I actually watched, by recommendation, an interview the other day with a relationship expert, yeah. not knowing what that means from a scientific point of view, mm-hmm. but someone who obviously works with relationships. And she pointed out that one thing that tends to happen in a conflict in any type of relationship, yeah. especially mm-hmm. a, a love-based relationship, yeah. is what she called um, uh, kitchen sinking. I kind of like that analogy. So she basically said, you know, if there's a problem here, like me leaving clothes all over the floor mm-hmm. and, and my partner wants to criticize me, 
Uh, what tends to sometimes happen is is kitchen sinking, which is basically instead of just putting one one dirty plate in yeah. the sink, which would be you know clothes all over the floor, mm-hmm. uh, as soon as that is there, then the the person criticizing will just pile up other stuff, mm-hmm. just like add stuff to it. So. Yeah. This is now I found a reason to criticize yeah. you and start an argument yeah. here, but I'll just keep piling with yeah. other stuff. And yeah, and the other day you did this and you always do this yeah. and you never do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden you have this pile of dirty dishes, yeah. which is just impossible to yeah. get through yeah. and you mm. can't really reply yeah, to Yeah, exactly. It. And then your partner gets defensive, right? Because that's how we often react when mm. we criticize. And then from there and onwards, it's just a race to the bottom, pretty yeah. much. So try to kind of break <laughs> out of those circles. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and uh, it brings, I'll, I'll bring this to the table as well. Mm. Something that I learned in actually in, in sort of management training or leadership training or, or I guess collaboration training, which is nonviolent communication. Um, there's actually like a method to that, mm. probably multiple, but the one I learned is instead of saying, you know, I hate you because you always do this or because you are like that. Um, like mm. You're a slob and yeah. I'm so sick of you. Yeah. That's very uh, violent communication yeah. where nonviolent would be, let's see if I can get this uh, somewhat right, is you start by describing a fact that, that, that you both agree is a fact. So it's not opinionated uh, and it can't be argued that this is true or false. So mm-hmm. basically saying when your clothes are left on the floor, like we can't, you can't argue with the fact that the clothes are actually mm-hmm. on the floor and they are yours. Yeah. That, that's step one. And then step two is that makes me feel a certain way, which yeah. is also something that the other person can't argue with. This is just my emotion, but it's not when you, you know, do something but when this happens when mm-hmm. we end up in this uh this type of moment mm-hmm. that makes me feel mm-hmm. uh, a certain way yeah and i uh, would like to not feel like that because i want to feel like something else mm-hmm. uh, and it becomes a problem for me because i want us to feel, i want to feel that we are equally participating in our relationship. I want to feel that, you know, we're collaborating together mm. in whatever we do. Mm. And, and then you add sort of the action that you want to come out of it towards the end. Mm. And you also frame it like not something. So I would appreciate it if you do this, but basically say, include yourself in it. And yeah. say, I would appreciate it if, if we as a couple mm. could deal with this in a, in a better way. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm describing it in the perfect way, but at no, least I, it's I'd a say, tool. I'd say that was in fact a perfect description oh, of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, because I mean, again, in, in, in the book, Huba uh, recapitulates the story of uh, uh, Professor John Gottman, who, who's been studying uh, relationships for the past several decades. And I, I'd say that his main findings are very much in line with what you just described. So uh, I'd say it was spot on. And moreover, it also kind of aligns very well with what Fredrik uh, writes about in a later chapter, uh, namely how to negotiate in kind of conflict situations within the marriage. And he, he'd probably say as well that It's about identifying kind of your interests, not as much about kind of allocating blame in one way or another, but but about kind of finding some sort of a common ground and try to to, um, approach whatever conflict you have in a constructive way in order to try to achieve some sort of a mutual goal in the end. So I'd say your 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 description was pretty much spot on, I'd say. So basically you try to you try to agree and speak about your common goals yeah. and interests, mm-hmm. which exactly. in a relationship are often fairly obvious. Yeah. We want to have a deeper, more meaningful, yeah. more loving relationship yeah. with each other. Yeah. Okay, if we agree on that, now let's find a way together. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Which Sounds easy, obviously it's not, <laughs> but at least if you have these tools and you sort of know how to work with them, uh, then that's that's something you can hold on to in those actual moments. Yeah. When it happens. Mm. And then maybe you'll, you'll last past five years and past 10 years and up to 25 exactly. mm. when, you, yeah. when you're in the then same Then you get zone. away with, with anything. Then, in way, so, yeah. Yeah. then you can start mistreating <laughs> yeah, exactly. each other exactly. after 25 years. Mm. Cool. So uh, is there anything um, from the book or any? you know, other aspect of your work that you feel that would be interesting to, to add to this beyond what we already covered? I mean, my chapter, I try to, using institutional theory, sorry, organizational theory, I try to uh, look at the, the marriage and, and to understand what is actually marriage, what kind of institution is this? 
What when kind I, of institution is it? <laughs> you tell me. No, uh, and what I try to discuss more openly about is how is there a, a risk that we treat the, um, the marriage as a company? Because uh, in many other institutions around, we see a kind of a blur of fussiness between what is and what is not a specific organization if we treat their, uh, marriage as an organization. And perhaps, and I just want to open or ask the question, are there risks if we if we treat the marriage as if it was a project or if we treat each other as colleagues or if we kind of, if we try to be too rationalized or rationalizing and uh, instead of, if we rationalize our, our daily life, perhaps we could spend that time we earn together instead of trying to create this efficient system together. So that is perhaps as well, like a, then a question marks like, is there a risk or and what will be the consequences if we treat our marriage like a, like a company sometimes because there are i've heard friends i've heard colleagues talking about excel sheets they have annual kind of kickoffs they evaluate their relationship after a while they all this kind of and you, so it's more like a playful idea yeah basically are there any, any evidence so this is basically if we have the historic viewpoint where this was really the way you looked at marriage it's a company now or some sort of you know, uh, strategic institution uh, and today it's more the romantic uh, version of it are there any findings in that in what you've looked at uh, like what are the are there risks or benefits of choosing either way to look at your marriage as only as this emotional bond or as something that you can actually optimize and make more efficient over over time what theory states is that if we blend blend these different ideas then there might be some kind of problem with the legitimacy of that organization so if you translate that to the marriage i think if we see uh, our uh, husband or wife as a colleague i think there were definitely other other consequences um, I don't want to, with my girlfriend, I don't want to go uh, on a kickoff with her. I want to go to a romantic journey or romantic... You, so, want to, you don't want to do PowerPoint. I don't want to do PowerPoint. Right? I don't want to... Now it's time for a coffee break. <laughs> exactly. So, so, I mean, there are... if I mean, there are s- certain expectations based on what kind of frame you put that, but, uh, on the, on the uh, marriage. And if you put the frame... That is a, a company. Definitely, there I would say there are certain consequences involved. So, with that being said, I mean perhaps there are good sometimes to 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 behave like a project um, in a project structure in a, in a lean process or whatever, as long as perhaps you could spend that time you, you earn on with each other rather than you should say that you can. Um, it's a mission drift that organizations tend to aim at something else than the actual purpose. And that could be perhaps an equivalent in the marriage that you end spending time, you focus on achieving something else rather than, I don't know, a happy, happy marriage. <laughs> or, or maybe it's the other way around so that we shouldn't do, we, we've been, we've now ruined married, marriage through throwing love into it, right? Exactly. So we should have just kept it as a business venture as it started <laughs> exactly. out. Yeah. That maybe would have the been the optimal way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Definitely. Exactly. exactly. But I think there's an interesting case to be made here that in one of the previous episodes i spoke to bill melison uh a new yorker uh we partly uh spoke about purpose-driven organizations and how that is you know the modern day the version of, of creating company you need to have purpose you need mm-hmm. to have a why statement mm-hmm. and that's becoming a trend and it's you know there are good and bad aspects of that but i guess a way of looking at your marriage or any type of relationship is that you need to fit this in to the life that you're living, the society that you're part of, where a lot of other stuff you are trying to optimize and plan and rationalize and structure, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, the company or your personal work or just your workout, you know, whatever it is that you spend time on. So I guess, and I guess speaking from experience that all of that sort of planning and all of the processes that I'm part of all the time because sometimes sort of overrun a relationship because I'm not using that same kind of, you know, Mm. planning thinking towards the relationship. So I might actually not invest enough time or energy uh, into the relationship to make that, even though it's a romantic love based (laughs) relationship, I still need to make time for it. Right. And that can be speaking of balance. That could be, 
I guess, somewhat challenging in, in a life where you have so many other things that are constantly being planned and you're, you're supposed to optimize. And so I guess to your point, you don't want to go overboard by losing all of the sort of the magic and the emotional aspect of it by just, you know, spreadsheeting your, <laughs> your marriage for the next 10 years. But if you don't do that at all, if you're spreadsheeting all the other aspects of your life, there's a risk of, of you know, missing out. Over. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so, so that could be, you know, future studies into divorce could yeah. be how much spreadsheeting are you doing? Exactly. <laughs> it requires further studies, definitely. And how yeah, much exactly. time are you actually investing into the relationship? And I guess what we also need, um, or a lot of people need, is like tools and instructions for how you invest energy into a relationship in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it's not just, yeah, now we're in the same room and we're, you know, I'm staring at my phone and you're staring at your computer or we're watching Netflix or whatever it is. Maybe we need more training in actually skillfully mm-hmm. sort of investing uh, into our own relationships. Yeah, and as you were saying, these are all empirical questions, right? I mean, uh, yeah. maybe there's there are upsides to spreadsheeting your relationship as well. Who knows, yes. right? But uh, more research is is uh, is needed. Is needed. Is needed. <laughs> yeah, yes. that's that's that's, that's, that, that's always the end point of all you know <laughs> yeah, the white exactly. papers, yeah. and the reports, <laughs> yeah, and the yeah. books. Yeah, and I guess it could be a nice end point to this uh, podcast episode uh, as well. So in in the realm of science, hope and love that the book is currently called. We'll see what, what it's called when it comes out. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of interesting findings and a lot of interesting viewpoints on uh, marriage, but I would say any type of relationship, actually. But uh, more research is needed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, uh, David and Gustav, for uh, being on a dying podcast. Uh, once again, your book will most likely be coming out in Swedish uh, sometime in the spring of in 2019 and if uh it will definitely be coming out uh probably in swedish pro definitely (laughs) probably in swedish we'll see very (laughs) safe playing by the scientists yeah and if i want to find more information about this gustav anfis david falk and where can i find you if you know if i want to read this book that's not even on the market yet yeah we're both at the stockholm school of economics you you could uh find us there and uh, the book is going to be published by volante publishing house here in stockholm so uh stay tuned Stay tuned, people. Thank you, and uh, have a lovely day. Thank you very much.